Good morning. Good to be with you this morning as we continue our look at uh, Acts chapter 28. If you've been with us throughout this journey, it's been um, broken up a few times, so it is kind of hard sometimes to keep the continuity, but uh, we began months ago with uh, the beginning of this journey where Jesus was just ascending back to heaven and giving the commission to his disciples to take this message to the ends of the earth. And it's interesting as we finally arrive at chapter 28 to see how the Lord has actually accomplished that in the text. And um, we're not actually going to see the end of Paul's life or even his ministry, but as uh, Jesus said in chapter 1, that those disciples of his would be his witnesses... He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they were, and in all Judea and Samaria, which is the surrounding regions. And then it says, and to the ends of the earth. And that's really where Paul now finds himself. He's going to reach Rome, the the end of the known world for him at that time, right? So there was more regions like China in India and places that aren't mentioned specifically in the scriptures where the gospel will continue to go. However, uh, uh, we see Paul finishing this, this commission that he was given to go to the Gentiles to, to the end of the world as he knew it. And, uh, so we see him come to Rome. So, uh, we'll be picking up the story in chapter 28. A few places we'll go before we even read the text, but, um, why don't we just stop for a moment and look to the Lord as we begin our time in his word today. Father, we want to say thank you for being here with us today. Thank you that just as Paul went through the storm and the shipwreck and the trials that still faced him, he could rest assured that your promise was still true, that you would never leave him nor forsake him. And you gave that same promise to us. And we give you thanks for that, Lord. There are times where We may be tempted to feel alone, but we know it's not true. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And so we thank you for bringing us here together in your presence today where we're not alone. And we just invite you to speak to us, to teach us the lessons that you would have us to learn as we seek to live our own lives and fulfill your calling for each of us in our lives today. And uh, we have a lot who are not able to be with us today, Lord. We just want to commend them to you. We think especially of... Uh, Nancy Lopez's family as they grieve her homegoing and yet at the same time rejoice that she's not suffering. She is truly with you in a totally different way than she experienced here on earth. And Lord, this is our hope to be forever with our Lord. And we thank you for that. We just commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so sometimes I try to give my messages a title. And uh, it just kind of helps us remember the main point or what we should be looking for. I kind of was caught between two of them today. One, uncharted territory. We're going to see Paul reach a place where things were totally uncharted. They didn't even know where they were. And sometimes in life we find ourselves there. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today. But I also thought another apt title would be, What Did He Say? Sometimes people say, What Did He Say? As if we didn't hear. But no, We hear lots of things, but we really want to come back to is what did Jesus or what has the Lord said so that we can hold on to that as we find ourselves in uncharted territory. So um, 
If you'll turn with me then to Acts chapter 28, we'll read the portion that we're going to consider from chapter 28 uh, today. And we, we read at last chapter how Paul was on this ship under arrest as a prisoner, and they were taking him to Caesar in Rome with all of the uh, 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 false accusations, the, the uh, hearings that he had back in uh, Jerusalem, and in his home country, things were not going well, and he appealed to Caesar, and they sought to send him here, there, and uh, they suffered great shipwreck. And uh, we're going to refer back to that shipwreck today, but the last verse then of chapter 27 says, And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So the ship had been destroyed, but amazingly, all 276 souls on that ship Escaped. Even those who could not swim were able to cling on to boards and uh, parts of the ship and escape to land. And now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 28. And it reads, Now, when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases, also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And now when they came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And may God bless the reading of his word. Uh, we'll come back to the rest of that chapter after Easter uh, when we actually finish the rest of this chapter. But as I read these verses, something stuck out to me here in verse 14. And it reads right there at the end, And so we came to Rome. Such a short little sentence. But can you imagine the understatement of that little sentence? So we came to Rome. They just spent 
like seven months aboard a ship with storms and uh, conflict and everyone thinking they were going to die. Actually, the soldiers were going to put everyone to death and then the ship totally falls apart. They're all washed ashore to land. They're freezing in the cold rain. And so they came to Rome. And uh, that's, that statement just really stuck out to me. And then I thought to myself, you know, the Bible's full of those kinds of statements, isn't it? Understatements. I was immediately brought back to one of my favorites as far as understatements in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Here we see God creating in the six days everything that there is in existence in the entire universe. And He creates light itself before there's even any physical thing to shine that light. And then... Uh, he separates the waters above from the waters below and, and he creates the sky and then he creates the sea and the, the dry land appears. And then all of a sudden, uh, on day four, it says he, he said, let there be firmaments in the heaven, excuse me, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. That's probably an understatement too. And it was so. But then he says, verse 16, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. What, are you kidding me? A throwaway line like that? Some stars are so big we can fit our whole entire solar system inside them, much less our sun, much less our planet Earth, right? So, but, but the Lord, He just says, He made the stars too. An understatement. Lots of understatements in the scriptures. But you know, there's opposite statements as well. We might even say that they, they might be overstatements. The understatements we might be tired, uh, tempted to dismiss without really considering them. But sometimes these other statements may seem to be overly stated to make them almost impossible for us to wrap our arms around to really appreciate, right? One of them, in Luke one thirty-seven, it says, For with God, nothing will be impossible. Lots of things in life are impossible for you and me. There are some where we realize we can't do anything else and we look to the Lord and we, we, we have some hope in Him, but do we really believe this statement? For with God, nothing, nothing will be impossible. Or how about this one in Philippians 4.19? Now, I know a lot of us like to have Philippians 4.13 as our favorite verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but that doesn't mean he'll give me lots of energy. But Paul was going back and forth from having everything to having nothing. And he said, I can do anything that God puts me in, right? With his strength, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But here in verse 19, he says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's a powerful Almost seems overstated. All my need? Yeah, that's what he says. How about Philippians 1.6? Here's Paul is beginning a letter to the 
Christians in Philippi, thanking God upon his remembrance of them for all that he remembers and knows of them. And he says to them, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You ever feel like maybe God's given up on you? But what did he say? What did he say? He will complete it. He started it and he will complete it. Nothing is impossible for him. You have needs? He's promised to supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Here's one more before we go forward. Romans 8, 38 and 39. The same Paul that we're reading about who suffered this shipwreck, who went through these horrendous things. He said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. And yet do we believe it? But what did he say? Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The very beginning of that chapter said, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Man, is that an overstatement? Or can we really believe that? What did he say? He really said it. Trusting Jesus. Can we trust him? There's a hymn to that title. I was thinking about it while I was preparing this. Simply trusting every day. Trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly. Trusting as the days go by. Trusting him, whatever befall. Trusting Jesus, that is all. Singing if my way is clear. Praying if the path be drear. If in danger, for him call. Trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting him while life shall last. Trusting him till earth be passed. Till within the jasper wall. Trusting Jesus, that is all. Not that it's some simple thing. Oh yeah, just trust Jesus. No, listen, that is the biggest thing we need to get a hold of. We really can trust him. We also sing sometimes, a song called A Debtor to Mercy Alone. Of covenant mercy I sing. It says, no, nor fear with God's righteousness on my person and offerings to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me shall have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. The work which His goodness began, the arm of His strength will complete. His promise is yes and amen and never was forfeited yet. Things future nor things that are now, not all things below or above, can make him his purpose forego or sever my soul from his love. My name, from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure are the souls of the blessed in heaven. I like that line. Think of Mrs. Lopez. Just two days ago, departed this life in an eternity. More happy, but not more secure. 
we are as secure in our salvation as she is today in the Lord's presence. Because we can trust Him. Last verse of our string of verses about things that sometimes we struggle to believe that the Lord has said. 1 Peter 1, 3-6. through 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. Get this. Reserved in heaven. This is your inheritance if you're in Christ. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, not only is our inheritance protected by Him, there in heaven, incorruptible, undefiled, never will fade away, but we ourselves are being kept by His power for our salvation when we're together with Him in the future. Hmm. Not an overstatement, but maybe tough for us to hold on to and believe. But what did He say? Did He mean what He said? Can we trust Him? Him, as the moments fly and the days go by. I just would say, yes, we can. And that's what Paul came to here in Acts in our journey. Acts chapter 27, I love this part of the chapter. In fact, I've never seen it on any other church. You know, a lot of us have verses at the back of our um, platform, reminders to us as we want to receive from God in his presence, but there's a, an assembly in uh, New Orleans that has this verse from Acts 27, 25. And Paul, speaking to the men, when, when the Lord revealed to him, look, the whole entire ship's going down. But the Lord told him, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for, and here's the verse, I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. And so after he heard this message from God, in the midst of the storm, it hadn't stopped yet, he turned to all the men who were with him, who were, in, who were afraid for their lives. They'd thrown over everything in the ship. And Paul just says, God says he's going to save every single one of us through this. I'm going to get to Rome. And I believe God. I believe that it will be just as it was told to me. That's the kind of faith that I want to have, that I want to have on a daily basis. That's the kind of faith that we had when we came to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, isn't it? When we came to the end of ourselves, there's nothing else we could do, and we put our trust in Him, but somehow along the way, when we get into uncharted territory, where the statements of Scripture seem almost overstated in light of what we're facing in our daily situations, I want to be able to say, With Paul, I believe God that it will be just as he said it would be. So that's going to be our challenge today to see how we can return to that, how we can hold on to that hope. So, how do we know he wasn't just dreaming? Well, you know, it's been pointed out that five times already in the book of Acts, Paul has expressed not only his desire to go, to Rome, but God has affirmed it and given these promises, right? It's not the only time. You go back to chapter 19, and it said, 
This was Paul's expression. He purposed in the spirit that when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And uh, so it seems that the spirit of God was impressing upon him that he would indeed go to Rome. Then in chapter 23, if you're people who like to see it for yourselves, right? Chapter 3, verse 11. Um, the Lord came and stood beside Paul as, um, once again, he'd been called before the Sanhedrin and the, the, uh, he was in the barracks under arrest. It says, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The Lord says, hang on, you're going to get there. You're going to also bear witness to me in Rome. And so in chapter 25, when the soldiers once again say, okay, let's send him to Caesar, he appealed to Caesar. We enter chapter 27, where we just read, the Lord said, you must uh, be brought before Caesar. That's the Lord speaking. And so Paul said, I believe it. And he held on to it. You know what it reminded me of? That story in Acts chapter, or Mark chapter 4, where Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to them after a long day, he said, let's go over to the other side of the sea. So they get back in their boats. It's the end of a long day. And they, they push off from land, leaving the multitude behind. And it says Jesus was with them in the boat. And he went and he fell asleep in the stern. And while he was asleep, a storm arose out of nowhere. So much so that the boat was being tossed and the boat was starting to fill with water. And these professional fishermen were so terrified that they woke up the Lord Jesus saying, Don't you care that we're perishing? And it says that the Lord stood up and he spoke to the wind and the waves and he said, Peace, be still. And instantly the storm ceased. But then he turned to the disciples. He said, Why were you afraid? Where is your faith? They had Jesus with them in the boat. He said, let's go to the other side. But think, seeing him asleep made them think he didn't care or wasn't in control. And their faith vanished. But you know, Jesus... He said, where is your, why do you have no faith? Have you not seen all the other miracles that I've done? Do you not really believe that you can trust me? What did he say? He said, let's go to the other side. What did he say to Peter? You must appear before Caesar in Rome. What has he said to you and me that we're having trouble hanging on to today? Paul would say it like this to the first, in 1 Thessalonians 5. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will bring it to pass. He is faithful. That's what he said. Do we trust him? Wow. So, <clears throat> this storm. I'd just like to follow the, the progression of this situation. Paul finds himself now on Malta after a shipwreck in a place where they don't know where they are. 
They find out after they get there. See that in chapter 28, verse 1? After they escaped, then they found out that the island was called Malta. So they didn't know where they were, but they had arrived there through this storm. I looked at the storm. And I know, Aaron, you spent a bit of time talking about the nautical uh, uh, and, and, and the, this, the actual locations on the map. Um, I don't know that the actual map locations, are, you have it there? Okay. Are the most important. But this is the journey that he followed, leaving Israel in the promised land, right? They went and they started sailing. And, and already they knew it was late in the season. The winds were starting to pick up, so they hid behind Cyprus and started along the way. But it said that after they reached Myra and tried to go further, that the winds were contrary. The winds that they were trusting in to take them to their desired location were contrary. What does that mean? They were going against them. They weren't cooperating. So you know what they did? They changed ships. They said, this isn't working. You know what? Something wrong with our boat. We need a new boat. And so they found another Alexandrian ship, I believe it was, and and they changed ships and they started out again. And it says they sailed slowly for many days and arrived with difficulty off of Snedis. So after many days, here they've changed ships and they've made their way with difficulty at Snedis. So they had a situation where the wind was contrary. It was against them. And so they made some adjustments and they set out again, but with more difficulty, the winds would not permit them to proceed. So now they're going to change course, not just change ships. We got to take a different route. Okay. So that's when they decide instead of just kind of coming up here again, we're going to actually venture out to come under the, this island of Crete and see if that helps. So they change course and they sail under Crete, but it says passing by Salmon, which was one of the uh, ports off of Crete. It says, passing by it with difficulty, they came to Fair Havens. So they found a place to stop down here on the south side of Crete, and, and, and it was called Fair Havens, and, and yet it, it, more difficulties had been there, and that they concluded, hey, it's now getting too dangerous. Um, so they decided uh, uh, to wait before proceeding. You know, sometimes we do that. We've made some adaptations, some changes. And, well, let's, let's stop and think for a bit, right? We're going to wait. And then it says, chapter 27, verse 13, When the south wind blew softly, and they were supposing that they'd obtained their desire, they sailed off from Crete once again, right? So there's a calm in the storm. And they think, okay, this is my break. And they set out again. But no sooner do they start... And it says, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose. A storm called Eurachlodon, right? We're talking hurricane winds assail them. They weren't expecting that. The ship was caught, so they let her drive. They stopped fighting against a storm. It was just tossing them here and there. It says they secured everything on board. They tied down the skiff. They started throwing over their food and tackle things that they needed for the journey, but they just for the sake of trying to survive, they just started throwing everything overboard until it says all hope of being saved was given up. <laughs> That's why the statement when you get to chapter 28 and it says, and so they arrived at Rome. It's such an understatement. 
Look at the storm. It wasn't just that they had a little bit of a difficult journey. You know, we hear about the pilgrims on the Mayflower and they had a terrible two-week storm that set them late and they didn't get to the new world in time and they had difficulties, but that's nothing compared to what Paul went through. But it was finally at that point when they gave up all hope of being saved that God spoke to Paul and Paul relayed that message to them. God's told me again, we're going to make it. All of our lives will be spared. He's promised to get me to Rome. And I believe God. Now, up to this point, Paul had tried to give advice and counsel to people. They didn't want to listen to him. But we finally see some changes taking place on board this ship because of the storm, because of the ultimate shipwreck. But they found themselves in a place of uncharted territory. But before we leave the storm, I just want to make a little practical application again to you and me, right? We're we're following the history of Paul, but not just to have a history lesson, right? Paul's experience is meant to teach us something. Do you have storms in your life? I know I do. And sometimes they just kind of progress the same way as I saw this storm progressing. The winds were contrary. Things don't go as easy as we hoped. What you thought was going to be the promotion at work didn't turn out to be that way. The economy slows down because of COVID. Everyone's hours are cut. Some of us lose our jobs. You're going through an ordinary day. What seems to be a routine doctor's visit turns out to be a very disappointing and distressing report from the doctors. And that's just the beginning. The winds were contrary. So we make some changes. They changed ships. They made adjustments. We make some adjustments. And yet, there's more difficulty not permitting us to proceed. You know, up to this point, we try to have the best, we put the best face on it, right? Um, James writes to us, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So, we try. Right? We give it the best in the face of difficulties. We look to the Lord. And yet, sometimes the difficulties increase. Even with our changed tactics, we think, well, maybe I'm not doing this right. Maybe I'm not doing that right. Maybe I ought to try this. And, and so we try. But we don't seem to be going forward. So what did they do? They, they stopped at Fair Havens. They, they, they took a break for a while at a standstill. Say, well, okay, maybe I'm fighting against the wrong thing. Let me just see what's going on here. And then the soft winds blow. Oh, you know, maybe it's all past now. Maybe this is going to be different. And so they set off on their journey on the next leg, but what? That's when the hurricane hit. Maybe you thought, oh, my boss was riding me so hard, but then, oh man, the last month has been so different. Next thing you know, after that last report, things are worse than they ever were. You thought the treatments were helping, You thought you were feeling better, and now the report says, no, it's cellulitis. The leg's in danger. I know that was quite a shock for Brother Malcolm the other week, right? Shocking. We thought he was getting better. 
The wind seemed to be blowing more softly. So we start feeling stuck. The ship was caught in this wind, and so they just said, okay, cut the sail, let it drop, wrap the cords around, just hunker down to ride out the storm. I know I've come to that point. No way to avoid this now. Just make the best of it. It's going to be a rough ride. We'll see what things turn out like on the other side. We just resign ourselves to the problem. It says they threw everything overboard and all hope of being saved was given up. Now, we need to face a few things. Number one, sometimes the difficulties we face are indeed a result of some of our own doing, natural consequences maybe. Sometimes they're not. And um, it's hard to tell, especially from the outside, what's really going on. Sadly, we tend to make judgment calls on other people's situations a lot sooner than we make them for ourselves. We look at people and we think, they must have done something. Or maybe we think we know what it is. But you know, this wasn't Paul's doing. But somehow God was working through this storm in ways that he didn't know, and he hasn't even revealed all of them to us. But I do know this. He wanted them at Malta. He got them to Malta. But it was uncharted territory. They didn't know where they were going, and they didn't know where they would end up. They just knew the storm was tearing their ship apart. But it was there that God was speaking. I just wanted to uh, bring that back before us. Um, the storms that we're facing. Maybe we don't exactly know where we're going, where God's trying to take us. Okay, uncharted territory. So have your storms brought you to uncharted territory, places you've never been before? I look at my life the last 12 months or so, and I feel like it's been a lot of that. The same progression we've just said. Difficulties, you try to change this, change that, address this, lighten the load here. Finally come to the place where you don't know what to do anymore. Yet feeling the pressure to fix it, nothing seems to work. Seeing no way to escape, just try to ride it out as best possible. But what if the place God is trying to bring us to is this uncharted territory, no longer leaning on our own efforts and our self-management, but on Him? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, you know, there's two parts to that. Sometimes I fully trust the Lord with some of my heart. Sometimes I trust the Lord 
somewhat with all of my heart. Did you follow the difference there? Sometimes I trust him with all my heart, but not completely. But he says, trust me completely with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He will. That's a promise. He will direct our paths. He knows how to make them straight. Malta. Crazy place. Here in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea, 56 miles from the southern tip of Sicily, 187 miles from the tip of Africa, is an itty-bitty little island 18 miles across and 9 miles wide. Can you believe their ship ran into that thing in a hurricane? How in the world did they not miss it? I mean, one little teeny half a mile and they could never have rowed their way into that beach. But it just so happened that while this ship had its Sail cut down, and the cords wrapped up, and everybody hunkering down, no one's rowing, just to save their lives. God was working through the sea and the winds and the waves to cause that ship to be tossed through the storm to find that little island. Where would they have ended up if if they had missed it? They'd already thrown out all their food all their tackle to help them navigate the thing, they'd have been lost. But they found themselves in a place they didn't know. And after the ship was destroyed, after they'd escaped, then they found out it was called Malta. So they wash up on shore and the natives come out (laughs) and show them unusual kindness. Um, I was thinking about this uh, this parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7 about the two men who built homes. He said the wise man went and built his house on the rock. The foolish man went out and built his house on the sand. And in both cases, the storms came but only one of them stood, the one that was built on the rock. And Jesus said, that's the one. That's the picture of a person who builds his life on the word of God. Because he said, the storms will come. And it will shake the house. But if we're built on the word of God, if we're trusting his word, what did he say? Yeah, we can believe that. We can believe it. The Bible says that the just shall live by sight. Right? No. This is the place where he says the just, those who are righteous before God, those who have a relationship with him, must live by faith. Sooner or later, if you're not coming out of that storm right now in that uncharted territory, just know that it's coming. 
What do we do when we find ourselves there? Trust His promises. Now, I must say, that doesn't mean that there will be no more problems, right? Paul landed on the, on the island, and the first thing they face is rain and cold. And they got nothing except their wet clothes that they floated into shore on. What's going to happen now? So I got through the storm, but I'm, I'm destitute. Well, there it is. Oh, we read that verse. God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So here are these people, don't know who these ones are washing up on shore, but God causes them to come out and show them unusual kindness. You know what that reminds me of? After the hurricane. Not the football games, but you know, after Hurricane Wilma and Andrew and all the other ones that come through and devastate our, our cities. What happens? People we've never talked to in our block come around and help us cut our trees. They have a gas grill and they, hey man, get, bring the stuff out from your, from your uh, refrigerator before it rots and let's have a big barbecue. You know, oh, you need more water? Well, I just found out that, you know, I've got enough to spare or, or that, you know, hey, the store around the corner, they've got toilet paper. Unusual kindness coming out of the storm. And in this case, by unbelievers. God was working. And um, the native showed unusual kindness. But in the midst of that, here's Paul. And it says that he goes out gathering a bundle of sticks. He's not trying to be catered to. Uh, uh, but it says, as he's gathered, this is 28 verse 3. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Oh, I mean, it goes from bad to worse. So he, he survives the shipwreck, but now a poisonous snake bites his hand. And it says that these, these natives who showed unusual kindness, now they saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand and they say to one another, Pooh, no doubt this man's a murderer. They now know, they see the soldiers, they see the people in shackles. Hey, uh, these are prisoners. That guy, he must be the murderer in the group. Uh, definitely something there. Though he escaped the sea, justice is not going to let him live. He's getting what's coming to him. It's bad karma. Hmm. You know, they, they had some wrong ideas about Paul. They had some wrong ideas about God. Um, and those ideas were going to be confronted here. And, you know, I thought that was interesting. We can't start putting our hope in people, in the government. God may use people to help us, or he may use us to help people. But we can't let ourselves become or let others become the place where we put our trust. The same people that helped them now... They're, they're, they're looking with a disper, with, with disper, dispersion. Is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, at Paul, they don't know how to deal with him. They're, they're all, they're ready to turn on him thinking, huh, this guy's not who I thought he was. But you know, God was working. Somehow God wanted these people to encounter Paul and the people on his ship. And so not only was God moving in their hearts to help Paul, Paul was there to actually minister to them. And, uh, anyways, so, they see this happening to Paul and they think, oh man, this guy's a murderer. 
But then he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. And then, okay, well, okay, so it didn't kill him yet, but it's coming. But then as time goes on and it doesn't happen, now they think, oh boy, well, he must not be a murderer, but he's a god. Snakes can't hurt him. He's not even human. I was thinking about that. Now, Paul's ment- mentality and the people on his ship have already been adjusted by the, 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 the storm. But here's what I was thinking. This is what's taking place on the island of the uncharted territory. One of the things that God wants to do in my, in my life and yours in that place is to challenge our thinking, to finally get it straightened out, to realize where we're looking to the wrong things, right? These people had in mind, this man, he's bitten by the snake because he did something wrong and he's getting what's coming to him, right? Is that biblical? Well, sometimes we reap what we sow, natural consequences. You break the laws, you you, you need to know that the law is going to try to it's got built-in provisions for how to deal with those things. Sometimes, if it's a murder, it's going to be a life sentence um, or whatever. But uh, that is true. But is it always the case that when bad things happen, it's because we did something wrong or because we're being punished? No, right? We have examples in the Bible where God's given us, he's pulled back the curtain to tell us. In Job's case, Job hadn't done anything wrong but there was a challenge between Satan and God and, and, and God actually allowed Satan to mess with Job's life just so that the righteous heart of Job could be seen, not just because God had poured out his blessing. It wasn't Job's fault. What about Daniel? The Israelites were taken off into captivity because of the disobedience, the idolatry of the Lord's people, but Daniel wasn't one of those. In fact, even after he got there, with danger of his own death, he showed his own faithfulness to God. His heart was right before God. Noah didn't go through the storm because, uh, well, he was a sinner. Wasn't in my notes to go there. Shouldn't have gone there, right? Paul sometimes was opposed by a lot of people, and he said to them in Galatians 4.16, Am I now your enemy because I tell you the truth? Sometimes difficulties manifest not because we've done something wrong. God could be testing us. He could be using us as an object lesson like he did Job. The battle in the spiritual realm that we can't see, we don't know. We don't know, but can we trust God? Trusting Jesus, that is all. Uh, so they see this creature hanging from his arm. And, uh, you know, here was the opportunity. They were right at the crossroads. So even though he's a prisoner, even though the snake's bitten him, God has delivered him. But instead, instead of saying, you know what? God allows bad things to happen to people who are still right with him. They don't give up their wrong thinking. 
They could have. They could have said, maybe my way of thinking is wrong. No, they said, well, he's a god. <laughs> We're going to rewrite the rules. I don't know how it's possible, but he's, he's not even human. That's why he survived, right? But, you know, this is our opportunity to let God challenge our thinking. Where are we buying into the lies of the world? I've read a few promises at the beginning of today that I know I struggle with. Although God calls us saints, yes, saints who still sin, who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, given the promise that we are being kept by the power of God for salvation, and yet we fall prey to believing there is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We start to doubt the goodness of God. We doubt his love for us. We doubt his readiness to meet, to provide all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And when we find ourselves at that place of uncharted territory, this is our chance to let him sift our thoughts. That's the spiritual battle that 2 Corinthians 10 talks about, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but spiritual for the tearing down of fortresses in our minds taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is the danger of our busy society. Do we actually take the time to stop and recognize what we're thinking, or are we just running with it? These people watched Paul with this serpent, but rather than letting their thinking be adjusted, they just held right onto it, made excuses, set it aside, and they carried on. I'm sure there's more we could say there, but God was working. He was providing opportunities, even through the shipwreck of Paul's experience, to allow his life in this uncharted territory to be a witness. It wasn't something. He didn't say, okay, everybody, I'm going to preach a message so you can learn the truth. No, it was his life in the brokenness of the shipwreck of God just being with him. And he was a witness to the people. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Will we trust God? What has he said? He can be trusted. Now, one of the opportunities that comes along is here, starting in verse 7. The, the, the leader of the island, Publius, it says that he entertained us courteously for three days. He finds out about this shipwreck. He brings the people in, and he is just pouring out the hospitality. Again, we don't know all of it. What were his reasons and motives? We don't know. Maybe he was just a nice guy. Maybe as the, the, the leader of the island, he wanted to demonstrate out of the goodness of his heart to the people what it means to be hospitable. He had the means to do it even through the storm. Don't know how Malta went through the storm to begin with, what the needs of the people there were. But he poured out more kindness on Paul and, and, and the people there. But it says that here Paul met Publius and found out that his father had a fever and was laying sick. So Paul went into him and prayed for him, laid hands on him and healed him. Wow. So Paul had an opportunity he would not have had had not the ship landed at Malta. Not only to heal and to minister to Publius' father, but it says that the rest of those on the island, when they had heard, came and brought their sick and diseased, and they were ministered to by Paul. Interestingly enough, it says, verse 10, that they honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. I tried to find out 
Was there a church established on Malta? Did they trust in Christ when they met Paul? Now, the scriptures don't have a record of that for us to read. It does seem to say, when I was doing some reading online, you know, it's dangerous to know what's reliable online and what's not. Um, but it seems that there is a, a long-standing Christian history on the island. Does it really go back to Paul? We don't know. But no salvations were really recorded here. But I can't help but think that some, at least, were brought to a relationship with Christ. They're there for three months, verse 11 says, and then they set sail again in another Alexandrian ship. This time, they touched down at a few places, but here's what I wanted to note. It says that in verse 14, we, they found brethren. They found some believers. Though Paul had never been to Rome, but he had said many times he wanted to get there. But there were already believers there, and they found each other and were invited to stay with them for seven days. So now not only was Paul receiving hospitality and kindness from unbelievers, he was having a chance to let his life be a blessing to them as he represented Christ and lived his, his Christian life for him there in that uncharted territory. But now, along the way, he's finding believers, and they are mutually encouraging one another. I just thought that was worth noting, both through the believers and the unbelievers. God was working in both directions. And we find that all the time. Many of us work for unbelieving employers, and we are blessed by them. And yet, while we're there, God wants us to be a witness. And while we're on our journey, he gives us times like this morning where we can be with, together with other believers to encourage one another in our walk with Christ. And that's what they did for Paul. And so it says, verse 15, from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum. So <clears throat> they've now journeyed from Malta. They're coming up here and they're hitting some cities as they're making their way to Rome. But before they could even get to Rome, the message had gone forward and the believers found out about Paul and they came down to meet him on the way. They greeted him. They met with him. It says, and when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. He's on his way to Rome, finishing the journey God promised him to make. But I got to tell you, at Rome, he's going to stand trial before Caesar. More trials coming. You may have just come out of a trial, but hey, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. There's more trials coming. But along the way, you know what he's doing? He may use unbelievers. He may use believers but he's going to supply our needs. He's going to meet us there and he's going to use us there as we walk that path with him. And that was Paul's experience. And all along the way, he had the opportunity to choose. What did God say? I believe God that it will be just as he said it would be. And the same is true for you and me. Faithful is he who called you and me and he also will bring it to pass. Are you in uncharted territory? Will you let God challenge your thinking? I don't know what lies you may have believed along the way, like these people who thought strange things about Paul and about God. But God can refine our thoughts, take, cap, take them captive to Jesus Christ, tear down the fortresses the enemy is trying to build in our minds so that we can truly stand and believe God and trust him through all the storms of our lives. Listen, I know that not everyone here may be a believer in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we take it for granted. We see each other from time to time. 
And we know the message has been preached. Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins so that we can have a relationship with him like Paul did. But if you've never put your trust in Christ, listen, you don't have that relationship. And the destruction that they all feared and that came upon them in the ship, that's nothing compared to what's waiting for the unbeliever who never has their sins forgiven through Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, I encourage you, whether you're here in the room or even on, on uh, the Internet, turn to the Lord today. It's why Jesus came. It's why we celebrate Easter next week because he died and rose again to pay the penalty for our sin. And just by turning to him by faith, you can know that your sin is forgiven and have eternal salvation in him. And if there's any way we can be a help to you to understand that, to know that that's you, please talk to us before you leave. Thank you. Father, we want to say thank you for the reminder of we see in Paul's life that you can be trusted. Yes, we have storms. Yes, we try to get out of them. We try everything to avoid them. And yet they come. And yet when we find ourselves in uncharted territory, we don't even know where we are. We can know that you're with us and that you're working and that you will meet us there. And Lord, help us to come to the end of ourselves. Help us to let our thinking be challenged that we may let go of the lies, believe the truth of who you say we are, of who you tell us that you are. And that when we're reminded of what you have said, we will trust in you with all of our hearts and not lean on our own understanding but in all our ways acknowledge you that you may make our paths straight. We just want to commit one another to your grace as we face the storms this week. In Jesus' name, amen.